Well, welcome everybody. Can we say thank you to those kids one more time for giving our moms that awesome shout out and blessing? Uh, we're going we're gonna to start off the message here. It was 20-something years ago, and I'm 16 years old, and I'm going to pick out and pick up my first car that I purchased all on my own. I got a little bit of money saved up, and now it's time. And because I didn't have a car on my own, I had borrowed my parents' full-size van. And I just want to, like, I want you to have the right image in mind when I say full-size van. Because this is the 90s, the early 90s, and it's like, it's not the miniature version of the vans that you see on the road today. This, this is a Goliath. This is a, a beast of a vehicle barreling down the highway. It's like, uh, it's got five five feet of headroom, like standing room in the cabin. The back seat folds down into what I'm pretty sure is like a queen size mattress, right? Two gas tanks to fill up at the station, which is helpful on those extended road trips because I'm pretty sure it got like seven gallons to the mile. <laughs> I said that correctly, seven gallons to the mile. Remember, it was, it was the 90s. This huge, huge van. And I'm 16 uh, I'm driving north on 131, merging, attempting to merge onto 196. Uh, for some of you out-of-towners, this is a downtown interchange. It's an overpass. It's like maybe 40 feet in the air. The exit ramp is about this long, and the on-ramp to the new highway is about this long. Okay, and I don't have like a full grasp of physics as a 16-year-old, especially the object in motion, stays in motion kind, the, that, that part of physics. And so I'm driving north, I'm going to make this interchange, and I'm 70 miles an hour, I punch the brakes, and like, it's not like they don't work, the brakes work, it's this user error, right, everything is fine on the car, I'm just not totally aware how much it takes to get that thing stopped, so I move from like 70 miles an hour to 60 miles an hour, and it's about then that I realize this is not going to end well. I'm just about to smash into that, that guardrail and kind of use that like pinball style and hopefully trying to get myself on the road. I'm thinking, this is going to work out. Everything is going to be fine. Smash into the guardrail. The, the tire blows. The front end is smashed up. I'm now like on the shoulder of 196. There's about three inches of clearance for me to open my door before like the oncoming traffic will just take it right off. And because of the year, there's no cell phones and I'm sitting in that spacious cabin, uh, ample room to ponder how I got myself into this mess and how in the world I'm going to get out of this thing. And I want to share that story with you really for, for two reasons. Uh, number one, it was my parents' car, and I'm not sure this Mother's Day if I formally apologized to my mom for wrecking the family van. So mom, I'm sorry, first of all. And secondly, looking back, Looking back on that uh, experience, that guardrail saved my life. 40, 50 feet above the downtown highway below. If the guardrail wasn't there or if it didn't hold when I smashed into it, I'm careening to my doom. I mention that today because we're in a series called the Apostles' Creed, and these statements that we just heard read for us, the church has long looked at as the guardrails of our faith. Because what we do, and what we have a tendency to do in our faith, is to emphasize and prioritize the thing that's right in front of us all the time. 
Like this thing that's in front of us, that's the most important thing. And, and that will always be the most important thing. What this creed does to, for us, the Apostles' Creed, the summary of teaching, that's almost 2,000 years old, from those very first and second generation of Jesus' followers that said, these are the most important things. We were the ones who lived with Jesus. We were the ones who spent the most time with Jesus. And we knew his heart. And so when those first, second generation followers of Jesus said, what are the things that the apostles wanted us to know? It's these statements that function as guardrails to our faith. It will save our spiritual selves and keep us barreling down the highway toward Jesus all the time. The creed is our guardrails of faith. And today, as we end our time together, I'd like to focus in on these few statements, the last statements of the creed. And this is a lot to cover, and we're going to tie it in. But let me just make a few comments on that. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy, and we said Catholic church, the Catholic small c, because it means the, the church universal from the, from the Latin root of the word, the, the church of all times and of all places. I believe in the, in the church that Peter was a part of, that Paul was a part of, that Polycarp, if you know your church history, was a part of, that Francis of Assisi was a part of, that Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Wesley, and Billy Graham, Charles Spurgeon, all of these were a part of. That's the church that we also get to be a part of. And I also believe in the communion of saints, which is kind of a weird word, because we think about communion like the stations where we eat the little cracker and drink the little shot glass of grape juice. And we think like that's communion. And then we think of saints as like the, the, the super elite Christians that have died and gone to heaven and they're with Jesus right now. And we're like communion of saints, what? And I wanna kind of correct us because sometimes we think of as saints like the dead elite Christians with Jesus sometimes, but every single time that the saints are referenced for the New Testament writer every single time that saints are referenced. He is not talking, the biblical authors are not talking about those who have died and are with Jesus now. He is talking about those who are alive and believe in Jesus now. And I just think that's really important because the New Testament authors, when they think saints, they're not thinking like far away then and there. They're thinking right here. When those people who were putting together the Apostles' Creed were writing this up, what they had in mind of the communion of saints, the the fellowship or the community of saints, they're thinking the community of believers, they're talking about you. And they're also talking about the person that you're sitting next to this morning. And they're also talking about those Christians that are all the way around the world. And we're going to celebrate this commissioning of the Maharjan family and starting to encounter Nepal next week. Come on back for that one. And we're talking about those Christians as well, the communion of saints. And I also believe in the forgiveness of sins because of Christ's atoning work on the cross. I believe, I believe in the resurrection of the body. This is important. The resurrection of the body, sometimes we think about it as a resuscitation. Like this is what Jesus is gonna do. He's gonna get us a little bit more time. And we think about stories of resurrection that are told in the Bible, like John chapter 11, when John says, Jesus went to the tomb of his dead friend Lazarus and said, Lazarus, in my authority and in my power, I'm not allowing you to stay dead any longer. I have authority even over death. So Lazarus, come on out. And the dead man, John says, came out. But not a resurrection story. He was dead and then he's alive again. It's a resuscitation story. It's not a resurrection story. That difference is huge. It's huge 
Because the medical community will tell you that a thing such as a DNR exists, a do not resuscitate. I mean, we have to, we have to know that, that as 21st century Christians, like there's a time that many of us have that we get to the end and we say our bodies are so tired, are so worn out, are so exhausted, are so sore, are so filled with cancer that once we start to like slip away, I don't want to come back. So I sign a do not resuscitate. Don't, when I start to slip away, don't bring me back because the body that I'm being brought back to is so riddled with frailty that I don't want it anymore. But when we gather together, when we stand at the end of our time today and we say that I believe in the resurrection of the body, we're talking about a different body than the one that we don't want anymore. We're talking about the new glorious body that Jesus exemplified when he conquered death once and for all 2,000 years ago. And he said, this is the body that I'm bringing to you. It doesn't get tired. It doesn't get worn out. It doesn't get sore. And it doesn't get riddled with cancer. It's a body that you will never want to leave. And I believe in the life everlasting. Amen. A friend sent me a line, an article earlier last week. The headline of it was, the end of the creed is the beginning of your life. And I thought that's so good. I'm just going to share that with you. The article is good too. It's Gospel Coalition. You can look it up too. But the end of the creed is the beginning of your life as a follower of Jesus. Because sometimes we think about the life everlasting, amen? We think about the life everlasting of, that's going to start when I die. Oh, no, no, no. Jesus said the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's there. The kingdom of heaven is there. But it's also right here. It's also right around us. So when we put our hope in him, it's like we're experiencing a little bit of that heaven here on earth. That once and for all, we will experience fully and finally in the resurrected body, amen. Uh, all of this, by the way, the Holy Catholic Church, a community of believers, the forgiveness of sins, resurrection, not a resuscitation of the body, and the life everlasting that starts right now is brought to us by that first line that we're going to hang out on a little bit while today. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, we, we preached on this about a month ago. If you were with us, it was part five of our series, Unlikely, and we preached on it from an angle of what the Holy Spirit does to transform Peter in part five of that series. So you can check it out there. And, uh, and what I want to do today is to kind of complement that one with a lot of this material that we didn't get to about a month ago and, and to kind of shed some light on this. But to get us on the same page, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we recognize in communities like this one, it makes us a little bit uncomfortable because the Holy Spirit in many communities, and I think this is one of them, the Holy Spirit makes us feel a little bit like the weird uncle that shows up at the family reunion and makes everybody uncomfortable. Like you don't know what he's going to do. You don't know what he's going to say. And, and because of that, we're just like try to avoid them. And we, and we would far prefer the Father, Son, and Holy Scripture than the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because Holy Scripture, we can close, we can put it on the shelf, and we can start to ignore it. It's very convenient for us, but that is not how God revealed himself. Uh, not in the creed, most importantly, that is not how he revealed himself throughout Scripture. And so we're going to open this thing up. We're going to look at the, the power of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does, not just for Peter. I want to talk this morning about what the Holy Spirit does in your life and in, and in my life. What we're going to call these, 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 these butterfly moments. More on that in a second. Uh, we have to recognize, too, that in a lot of conversations with people, sometimes the Holy Spirit has been, um, has been misunderstood 
and, and maybe, maybe even twisted, right? Where, where I've heard of stories, even in our community, of saying like, man, I had this weird experience. Pastor, somebody came up to me and they said, the Holy Spirit told me that you and I were gonna get married someday. And I was like, that, that's, a weird, that's a weird statement. And so we, we want to back off from statements like that because that's like co-opting a person of the Godhead to like have do our bidding instead of us doing his, his will. We're like inverting that thing. So if you are on the receiving end of somebody saying, the Holy Spirit told me so, you can just reply with, he didn't tell me so, and that's fine, <laughs> right? It's good, but it's also true, like, he didn't tell me, and when you have a stalemate, when Christian, when believers have a stalemate, you go to scripture and you're like, okay, where in scripture did he tell me that we we're going to get married? Like, you get to do that, and then there probably isn't a verse there, and so you can kind of build up from there. Um, we recognize sometimes that Holy Spirit has been misunderstood at times. I was a part of, a, I was volunteering at a church many years ago, many years ago, and uh, I was in the, in the youth ministry, and like this debate happened about whether or not you can pray to the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, there's not much of a, there's not much of a debate here. He's like part of, the, part of the Godhead, right? So, and they're like, I don't know, man. Like, God the Father feels right. I mean, Jesus, he's like right along next to me. I could pray to him. Like, that makes sense. But like, yeah, the Holy Spirit, now I don't think you can pray because I think that's that's more like this impersonal kind of force for good in the world. I'm like, bro, that's Star Wars. That's not our story, right? Like, you can pray, you can pray to him. Sometimes it, it betrays us when we try to pray to the Holy Spirit. We don't know, like, how quite to get his pronouns right. Is it, like, he, it? Is it it, it, it? You know, is it he, him? Like, what, what's, the, what's the vibe here, right? We, we don't totally know. And so what we're doing, what we're doing this time is, like, stepping back and saying, you can, you can pray to the Holy Spirit. You should pray to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit isn't an it. The Holy Spirit's a him. And we know that because he gives us his preferred pronouns in John chapter 14. We're going to come there in, in just a moment. But before we do, uh, title of this message I called The Forgotten God because it's like punchy. It's like, oh yeah, The Forgotten God. We're going to listen to that one. Also the name of the book, um, I wanted to call it butterfly moments, especially for Mother's Day, but it just felt too soft. And I recognize it's Mother's Day and all that, but, but it comes from this passage. Butterfly moments, it comes from this passage. Sometimes you get like a twofer on the titles, and that's all right. Um, this is Francis Chan, he's writing. He's writing in the book called Forgotten God. And he's talking about this, this time that he's out, uh, he's walking with his wife, and he sees, he sees his, little, his little bug, he sees a caterpillar crawling around on a branch, and he goes, like, can you pause for just a second? Hey, just like imagine what life for that little caterpillar would be like? And this is what he says, for all of its caterpillar life, it crawls around on a small patch of dirt, up and down a few plants. And then one day it takes a nap, a very long nap. And then what in the world must go through its little caterpillar head when it wakes up to discover it can fly? What happened to its dirty, plump little worm body? What does it think when it sees its tiny new body and gorgeous wings? As believers, we ought to experience the same kind of astonishment when the Holy Spirit enters our bodies. We should be stunned in disbelief over becoming a new creation with the Spirit living in us. As the caterpillar finds its new ability to fly, we should be thrilled over our spirit-empowered ability to live differently and faithfully. Isn't this what the scriptures speak of? Isn't this 
what we've all been longing for. And that's really what today is about. These butterfly moments of us declaring together, I don't want to keep crawling when I have the ability to fly. Butterfly moments, the forgotten God. Let's go to what Jesus has to say. Always a good plan. John 14. John 14. And as we, as we head in there, just keep in mind the context of this conversation. Jesus is in this upstairs apartment with his close friends, with his followers, these disciples. You know, and he gives this long speech and this prayer about what's going to come next. And I think for much of it, he has tears in his eyes. And he's offering them this, this hope. He's offering them this encouragement. And he comes to John 14, verse 16. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. And I just, I want to point out a couple things. The first one, it's just the language, Right? For those of us who are are tempted to kind of retreat in our thinking back into the spirit of God as this impersonal Star Wars kind of force for good. For Jesus, he goes, world can't accept him because neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. You know him. You know him maybe better than you think you do. Because the second thing that Jesus mentions, the, the, the word that he uses in the, verse 16, um, that he's going to give you another advocate, an, another advocate. In the Greek language, there's two words of saying another, depending on, on what you mean. There's one way of saying another that means uh, one more of a different kind. Not the word that's used here. The word that's used here is another advocate is one more in a series of the same kind. So when Jesus is saying, I'm giving you another advocate, like you have me, we walk together, we cried together, we laughed together. You have me. And you, you know, you know him, you know him. Even if he makes you uncomfortable, even if you're not sure if you can pray to him, even if you're not sure what the pronouns are, he, him, it's, what, what is it? You, you know him. Jesus said, because you know me. And he is one more in a series of the same kind, the Godhead. You know him, verse 18. Jesus continues, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm gonna adopt you into my family. You're not gonna be orphans. I will come to you and before long, the world will not see me anymore. I'm going away. But you'll see me because I, because I live, you also will live. There's that life everlasting, the life, the full life, John 10, the full life that starts not then and there, but starts today, you will live. Verse 22, I love this. Then Judas, not Iscariot, and it just points us to this time, like it's written after the fact, right? Like John is, is remembering this story. It's not happening in real time. John is remembering this story and he's writing it down. He goes, I don't want to spoil the ending or like what's coming up next, but like, Judas over here has to make, make sure. He's like nudging me and going, hey, just, just write like I'm not that guy. I'm not. <laughs> then Judas, not Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Hold on to this line. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. 
My Father will love them. And we will come to them and, and make our home with them. And that's where I kind of want to hang out today. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them. We will come to them and ma- make our home with them. When we hear Jesus use the word of the Holy Spirit, uh, this, this advocate, the word that he is using there is the Greek word parakletos, uh, parakletos. Sometimes it's translated as um, uh, like a legal advocate. Sometimes it's a, a counselor. Sometimes it's a comforter. There's such a huge spectrum, such a huge understanding about what the Holy Spirit does, uh, who the Holy Spirit is, and how he operates and intersects in our lives. But for the purpose of this morning, and because I recognize you have brunch plans after this, we're going to limit it to just these three things. Just these three. That these are the butterfly moments. Like, because you have a Savior who is not content to let you crawl around in this little bug worm body, but he intends to instead have you fly on the gorgeous wings that he has gifted you, he's giving us his Holy Spirit with these three butterfly moments. Moments. The first butterfly moment uh, that I want to highlight is, just, is capacity. They're all going to start with C because of who I am. I'm a preacher and I just can't help it. But, but the Holy Spirit, he increases our capacity. He stretches that capacity. And this is the one we go to quite a bit. Like Holy Spirit power. He does the supernatural in our lives. Sometimes we think about it as the, uh, as the, uh, the supernatural, as the miracles, as the healings, as the prophetic word, as the speaking in tongues. The increase, that stretching of the capacity. I want to point something out, though, that when Paul gives us, in the New Testament, when Paul gives us his most extended teaching that he's going to give us on the gift of speaking in angelic languages or speaking in tongues, when he gives us his most extended teaching on speaking in tongues, he does so in 1 Corinthians 13 as a sub-point to telling us the true gift, the real gift of the Spirit is love. So you've heard it at a wedding before and not really sure that that passage was actually written to a very deeply broken church who couldn't agree on anything. They even disagreed about the, about the importance of the, the relative importance of spiritual gifts in the community. Well, I got this gift. I got this gift. My gift's better than your gift. And Paul's saying, you know, you guys want to know what the best gift of all of them is? Even, even if I could speak in an, in an angelic language, in the tongue of God. But I have not love. I have nothing and I am nothing. The most important gift, the most important stretch of our capacity that the Spirit of God gives us is to love each other like Jesus loves us. It's to love God like Jesus taught us to love God. The signs, the wonders, the miracles, everything else points, points to him. Functions as a highway to get to him. Uh, Steve, Steve Agler, he, he, get, he gets this one. I haven't met Steve, but I've read his story enough times right here in this community. Steve had the official title of a closed head brain trauma specialist. As a closed head brain trauma specialist, he did, he did pretty well for himself back in the day. Uh, he knew what he was doing in his memoirs. He was writing that he would treat Muhammad Ali. He treated Steve Jobs. He treated Jeff Gordon, the race car driver. I mean, dude lives right here in Grand Rapids. Wow, you know? 
a resume like that. He goes, his, his fee, just for a consultation, is five ten thousand $10,000, right? Just to meet somebody. He was doing all right. He also, he also had no concept of who God is, and in his memoir he says, but he was fueling a pretty heavy addiction to drugs, pride, and alcohol. And I just love that it's in, the, in that order. That took everything from him. He said, everything left. Everyone left. He finds himself, because of it all, this cocktail that he had devised for himself, he's absolutely plastered, drifting in and out of consciousness. He's along the road, downtown Grand Rapids. Cops pick him up. Where do you go? Mel Trotter. They drop him off. Just, just another drunk. He goes, that was the moment. I was introduced to the Holy Spirit and Mel Trotter. A year later, he's celebrating uh, a year sobriety. He's like, what do I do with this life? Rebuilding this life. He enrolls in seminary. He becomes this pastor of a church. The irony is not lost at him. He's, uh, he's a part of the Bellamy Creek uh, state prison system. He goes, the irony is not lost on me that I'm now voluntarily doing my ministry in prison when I myself was a prison to drugs, pride, and alcohol for just about my whole life. The first thing that the Spirit does, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, this butterfly moment, he's flying, stretching that capacity to overcome those things. A butterfly moment number one is this, uh, is this capacity. A butterfly moment number two is conviction. This is when we get into your business a little, okay? Just if you're gonna hear one, hear conviction. The third one is good too, but, but I wanna conviction. Um, Verse 23, when Jesus said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And then we're going to come in and we're going to make this home together. It's such a beautiful picture. If you love me, you'll obey my teaching. It's not like a command, it's just a statement of fact. Because Jesus understands, because I think he had a hand in making you, he kind of gets something about you and me. That we are driven by our affections, we are driven by our loves. And if you love me, it's just a statement of fact. You're you're going to want to obey me. That's how love and affection work. When you're driven towards something, your behavior falls into line. Fun little example. Do we get some sportsmen in the community? Some hunters? Some fishermen? Yeah, yeah, you don't want to admit. It's cool, it's good. Not fishers of men. I'm not talking about you guys. Like, that's a different sermon for another time. I'm talking like actual get up at 4 a.m. to sit on the water kind of like fish, right? Or hunters? I don't... I don't get it. I spent a very long time, well, it seemed like a long time. Looking back, it was like three years. I was a deer processor for a job. It's a weird, it's a weird thing, right? So I never hunted, but I processed a lot of deer. And so I learned a thing or two. And, uh, and I don't get it. That's what I learned. I don't get it. I'm just going to confess how much, I don't, how much I don't get this thing, right? Like, why in the world, as hunters, I'm grateful for you. I hit a deer one time, and so I'm grateful for every hunter out there. I don't want to hit any more deer, so please take them away from the roads. Thank you. But I also just truly, deeply don't get it. Like, why, why would you get up at 4 a.m. to cover yourself in deer urine, to sit in an unheated blind in a negative 15-degree cold, just like waiting for an animal to come out? Like, I, I don't... But you love it, right? And that's the point. When you love something, 
It's so irrational. It doesn't make any sense. You're trying to explain the thrill of the chase, of the sport of it. You're trying to explain why you spend what you do and time and resources and passion. You're trying to explain it and you're like, no, no, it doesn't make sense. Other than the fact that I just love it. When you love something that much, your behavior like falls into line towards it. And Jesus is going, I mean, that's, that's how it works. That's how I work when you love me. Listen, me, the Father, the Spirit, we come in and we, and we like make this home with you and it's this beautiful picture, isn't it? I mean, I got kids, we're making a home. I'm at a, I'm at a, a blessed place in parenting. I just, it's hard for a lot of people, I recognize that. But I am at this place where like my kids will wake up before me and they don't need me on a Saturday morning. It is awesome, all right? And you have that to look forward to. Like, hang in there. Your time is gone. I gave my 4 a.m.s. I did that. I did that. And now I have earned this 9 a.m. call time, all right? I'm going to cash that check all day long. So I go, I go downstairs, 9 a.m., and the kid, the boy, he's, uh, he's eight inches from the screen. He's playing his switch. And I'm like, how does that not give you seizures? But it's, he's doing it, right? And there's like wrappers, there's granola bars, there's goldfish crumbs, you know, mashed into the carpet. There's like little cups of juice. I don't know why there's so many cups of juice, just a little bit, a little quarter inch in each one of them, all throughout the house. And I'm like, dude, we got to clean this thing up, right? Like your mom's coming down and like, we got we to gotta get going. And, he, and he's like, okay, all right, pause the game. Let's do this. Okay, I get it. All right, so I'm going to go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some coffee. I'm going to come back. He gets the vacuum out. He runs the vacuum for seven and a half seconds. <laughs> Done. Vacuum turns off. I'm like, did you get all the crumbs? Yeah, I got them all the crumbs. All the wrappers, little granola bars. I got everything. Florios, you got the Florios. Florios are up too, Dad. Everything is good. Juice is put away. I'm like, dude, you, I heard you run the vacuum for seven and a half seconds. Superman could not run the vacuum, clean the vacuum the whole house in that amount of time. It's just not possible, right? So what do we do? I grab him and we walk around the house together. You see that? That's a mashup granola bar that's now like in the carpet. So we're going to clean that up, right? We're walking around the house together. I'm just like pointing out the floor, pointing out the goldfish. You may have missed that one. There's more little cups of juice. It was under, this, under the cabinet this time. There's so many of them all around. And I'm just walking him through because we're making a home together, right? And so I'm teaching him. I'm showing him. Those little spots of mess and those little spots of dirt that you had so easily overlooked, you know it's going to start to smell and you know there's going to start to be some, some bugs that come on and there's going to be the ants and the spiders and all this stuff that freaks you out in the middle of the night. You're inviting all of that in but not cleaning up the mess while it's still small. And I want you to know that you have a spirit inside of you that's doing the family thing of walking around going, we're going to clean up this house together. And you're, you're looking around and there's granola bars mashing into the carpet. And there's little cups of juice all around. You go, that's not a big deal. And you have a Holy Spirit in you. And he's walking around the house of your heart. And he's going, so you don't think it's a big deal right now. Just give it some time. You don't think the way you're looking at that person right now is a big deal. Just give it some time. See what that thing grows up into. Is it going to start to stink later? Yeah, it probably will. And I'm telling you guys, it is such an awesome butterfly kind of moment. It's a flying kind of moment. When the Holy Spirit, when he points that thing out, that mess out in your heart that needs to get cleaned up, and you do it. 
because of your love, there's a conviction that happens in you. You do it. And you are spared from the world stink that comes if you would have overlooked it. It's powerful grace in the form of conviction. It's a butterfly moment. The last butterfly moment is a comfort. It's literally what the, what the word most often translated to is a comforter. And I'm just struck with the context that Jesus is explaining to his followers why he must die. And he does so with tears in his eyes. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I've overcome the world. You're still going to see me die, though. And he goes, I'm going to give you the comforter. I'm going to give you that advocate. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And we have, we have so cheapened the word. Maybe it's a language failing. That, like, like, we don't have the, the words enough. We think comfort, and we're like, oh, man. Like, like a thousand thread count, you know? A nap, a big, fluffy pillow. We think comfort, and we're like, hot tub, sauna, comfort. We think comfort, and we're like, Mac and cheese, homemade with the little breadcrumbs over the top. Comfort food, so good. I'm not against any of those things, but it, but it like cheapens it a little, doesn't it? I told you about one kid. I got another kid. <laughs> I have two, two little sermon examples at home, so I got to use them as much as I can. So. And I'm teaching her how to cut the grass. She's 12, and I, I need this. I, oh, man. If we could... <laughs> so close, just... Teach her how to cut the grass. You know, eyes up on the horizon. Got to get those straight lines. You'll never know how important it is to a dad to have straight lines. I got, I got neighbors. We got to keep our Christian testimony alive with those straight lines. All right? And we're, we're going around. There's a fire hydrant in our front yard. We're going around. I didn't see. There was like this chain hidden under the long, the long grass. We're just, I'm right next to her. You know, we got this. We got this. She hits the chain. I mean, crack. Right? She, let's go, jumps back, screams. And she also let go. She also jumped back and screams like we both did, right? And same, it was terrifying, right? What just happened? The subtext of that is, am I about to die? It was that loud. I put my arm around her. I put my arm around her. I go, don't worry. You're, don't worry, you're okay. You're okay. We will get a new lawnmower. That is going to be fine. But you're okay. You are ultimately secure. Making this home together. You have a spirit who's telling you you're ultimately secure. Quite a few years ago, I got a call from somebody who said that there was a CAT scan MRI, one of the tests that showed a lesion on his lung. A lesion is like medical speak for there's a spot and we don't know what that's about. And because of a lot of other symptoms that actually brought that test on originally, they're like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to refer you. We're not sure what it is. We, officially, we don't know what it is. Unofficially, we need to get you to an oncologist, like, immediately. Officially, we don't know what this is. Unofficially, get ready. You have lung cancer. And, and with those symptoms that are around, like, you're doing a quick Google search, and it's like the mortality is not looking good. It's like get your priorities, get, get your affairs in order, not looking good. And so that's when the pastor gets the call. 
dying. I think I'm dying. Uh, unofficially, you know, we'll see. Or officially, we'll, we'll see. Unofficially, this, this is the place that I am. So I'm not going to ever forget this. I'm sitting, I'm sitting in the living room and I'm listening. I'm listening of, of you know, I got to take care of this and I got to take care of this. You know, we're talking probably weeks and months. We're not talking years and decades. I don't know how long we're going to find some of that out yet. But you know, I, I got, my wife is amazing. Grown kids are smart and they're wise. They're, they're going to be okay. They're going to miss their dad, but they're going to be okay. And I'm like, what about, what about you? How do you process? How do you understand this news that you don't have the decades you thought that you had? You don't have the years that you thought that you had that you're going to meet God and it's not going to be down the road then and there sometime. It's like potentially this calendar year, you know? And he's going, ah, that's the weird thing. I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about that because my hope is ultimately secure. And if we're talking about the capacity to no longer live our lives like caterpillars crawling around in the dirt and in the mud, but but recognize that his spirit has gifted us the wings of a butterfly, we can fly. That's flying. When you can look death square in the eye and say, you know, I'm going to be concerned about the people that that I'm leaving behind, but me, I'm flying, man. I know where I'm going. My hope is ultimately secure. Don't you want a hope like that? Fly. Don't be content crawling around the dirt and the mud. Listen to his Holy Spirit. When he whispers, answer. I want to invite you to stand up today, all of our locations, wherever you are. As you're standing up, we're going to read the creed to close out our time. Just, but one, one final request. One final request. There's this, there's this kind of ritual sometimes that we do. When, uh, when I'm done, I kind of walk off stage, and somebody comes up to me or maybe emails me a little bit later, and they said, hey, dude, you said this thing. And when you said this thing, man, it was like you were speaking directly to me. I had no idea how, but like, you did it right at me. And I love that, and I think that's awesome, and I don't want to belittle that. You know, thank you. I saved those emails, put them in a little folder. It's a whole thing we'll talk about another time. But, but I want to clear something up. That's not me talking to you, okay? That's the, that's the Holy Spirit. Like the Spirit of God is whispering into your heart, and when it feels like something is just landing directly at you, like someone is trying to get a hold of you, that's what his voice sounds like. And when you start to listen, and when you start to actually obey, you fly. Let's read the creed together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son.
Amen. Let's keep on worshiping together.